Hello and welcome. I'm Holly. I'm Lisa, and you are on the brink of adventure. Today we're spilling the tea on the Epcot International Flower and Garden Festival. Today is February 28th, 2024, and you are listening to episode 18, Flower and Garden Festival Preview. What is the Epcot Flower and Garden Festival? Epcot has four festivals throughout the year. They have the Festival of the Arts, Flower and Garden, Food and Wine, and Festival of the Holidays. So this is the second festival that they have every year. It runs from today, February 28th, through May 27th this year which is shorter than it's been the last few years. It's the last couple of years they've had it running into July. So this is a much shorter by like six weeks festival right. this year. Well, and historically it had run from about March 1st until Memorial Day weekend. So mm-hmm. they're, they're kind of back on that same. They're going back. Yeah. Pattern just again, but during COVID. Well, because I liked, I'm going right. in June. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to hit flower and garden. Just kidding. Same. same. <laughs> I'm really hoping though, I'm going to put this out there. Disney, mm-hmm. if you're listening. I'm really hoping that this means that we get a summer festival. Summer I think it would be so festival. cool because yeah. food and wine starts so early and it's so hot for all those heavy yes. foods that they have. I think it'd be fantastic if we had a June, July, August, even into like maybe the beginning of September festival, yes. like a Memorial Day to Labor Day wine. type. Yes. Yes. Um, and I think we do not have dates for or a start date for food and wine yet, correct? No, we do not. Okay. So... Uh, hopefully that is what's going to happen. And I, I thought maybe they would move Festival of the Arts to the summer just because of being able to give it a longer time frame because they really need to start Flower and Garden March 1st because in Florida, it they're ready. It's time mm-hmm. to go, you know? So they really can't do a lot with extending Festival of the Arts much past the window they have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought well, they could give it a three-month window in the summer. However, the artists are not going to want their artwork out on display no. or on showcase with the sun beating down on it in the summer. Um, no, it, it's just not feasible. And the chalk art, I think, would just melt right off the sidewalk in the summer. Yeah. Um, well, and all the rain. So, you know, yeah. the people doing the chalk art, it would Maybe be every afternoon minutes. would rain. Yeah. Right. So that wouldn't make sense. Right. I so think I they just it. need a whole new festival, something yeah. new and exciting to, you know, bring people in possibly you know because people that go often have gone to all these festivals already they're kind of like okay been there done that this would give something new and refreshing they really don't change them substantially from year to year so like there might be some new food booth offerings or but the um the big things that you know take up the the space and are like an event kind of thing at the festival um those really haven't changed in a long time Mm -hmm. um but yeah, a whole brand new festival would be amazing. I don't know what they would do though. Can you have, do you have any ideas about it? I think it would be fun to do like a beach bash, like like cookout food yeah. and just summary. Like you know, I'm thinking watermelon and hmm. co- like grilled stuff and right stuff that would be more that like food items that would lend themselves more to the the heat. Yeah, or 
Because I agree, Beachy. food and wine in the summer, I can't even, like, that doesn't even sound appealing to me because it's, no. so, it's so hot. And I know the flower and garden, and we'll get into this when we talk about some of the food booth items, some of this is very fruit forward and flowery and stuff right. like that, the food, but they could carry that over into the summer. I'm That's thinking, why I like, think it lends itself to the summer. I think flower and garden should go till August, personally. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> those poor flowers. They'd the poor be flowers, yeah. And the, especially because some of the topiary um, plants that they use, because they use a lot of different plants to make the different shapes and colors that they need, um, you know, for the character topiaries. I don't know how the poor horticulturists, how they would keep up with it all summer mm-hmm. long. I think, they were, I think they were dying to get through the end of June as it was. So, um, Yeah, that's why I think like a beach bash or a summer fest, I think that would be yeah. fun with a lot of lighter dishes, a lot of lighter drinks. I just think, I don't know. I just think that'd be fun. But anyways, coming back to what we're supposed to be talking about here, the (laughs) Flower and Garden Festival. The most important thing to remember is that this is included in your Epcot Park ticket. So when you buy your tickets or have your annual pass or, you know, whatever your circumstances and you go to Epcot, this festival is included. You do not need to pay extra. However, there are some things in the festival that are an additional cost. For example, if you would like to eat and drink at those outdoor kitchens, do the scavenger hunt, things like that. That costs extra. But just to walk around, look at the topiaries, walk through the gardens that are available, watch the um, concert rock or garden rocks concert series. That's all included in the Epcot Park ticket. Absolutely. Um, it's a really great value because these festivals really bring an extra layer to Epcot that makes it the park that we love. Um, mm-hmm. Epcot's a wonderful park. And having the World Showcase pavilions uh, available are, is, is fabulous. And having the rides that they have is fabulous. But it's a very spread out park. So the festivals offer a really wonderful connective tissue uh, that links the whole park together and makes those uh, longer pathway journeys a little more palatable. Mm-hmm. Yes. So some of the festival-specific offerings. We've talked about it a couple times already here. But are the topiaries there are over 100 topiaries throughout the park, 70 of which are Disney characters. That's so no incredible. matter where you are in the park, walking around, you're going to see a topiary somewhere. They have a few new ones this year, including some characters from Wish, Asha Valentino, and the Wishing Star, which will Yay. be at the main entrance. So if you come in the main entrance to the park, it'll be right there in front with the probably festival or Flower and Garden Festival sign and then spaceship earth you know the big golf ball in the background they also will have Groot this year which i am really excited about that will be over near how has that been overlooked to this point to be honest yeah he's a literal tree (laughs) yes but he will be over near cosmic rewind and then this year they're going to have miguel and dante from coco over near the mexico pavilion did they not have miguel and dante before i guess not it's listed as new for this year huh because they have, I mean, they have the um, 50th anniversary statues yes. of them. And maybe I was conflating that with, I swear there were Miguel and Dante topiaries before, but apparently oh, not. I don't know. Interesting. Some of my favorites that are returning are on the walkway from the front of the park to the port of entry, the top of the world showcase. They usually have topiaries there that once again, when you're looking at them, Spaceship Earth is behind them. And it's typically Mickey and Minnie, Chip and Dale, and Pluto. So I usually like that one. Over by Mission Space is Buzz Lightyear. Anna and Elsa in Norway. My absolute favorite is the Beauty and the Beast in France. 
just because Beauty and the Beast is my favorite. The dragon in the Japan Pavilion. Oh, that dragon. That's awesome. Yeah. Winnie the Pooh and Friends in the UK Pavilion and Tiana in America. Those are some of my favorites. Um, also, yeah. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in Germany. Oh, you took mine. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so some of my favorites that uh, I would assume are going to be returning um, are Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs have been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I love the Three Caballeros um, mm-hmm. just outside of Mexico. They're usually on that pathway that leads up to the Odyssey building and the restrooms. Um, and they've been there for years. So I would expect to see them back. Um, I was like Peter Pan and Captain Hook. They usually yes. do a really nice job with that one. Um, and the Encanto topiaries that were new last year. Those were so pretty. They were last year. They were at the front of the park. So they're being moved. They are coming back, but they're being moved. I forget where they're being moved to. Yeah, it's typically the new movie that gets the front entrance. um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the others get absorbed into the hundred plus topiaries. I also really like the Rafiki where he's holding Simba. Oh, yeah, that one's really really neat. When you walk in from the International Gateway, there's a butterfly to the side. Holly and I were there um, last weekend, and they actually already have that up. Yeah, that's already up. So that's, you know, up a little bit before the the festival started here. So moving along, they also have a bunch of gardens throughout the park. I believe every country has a garden, and then they have other ones as well. They offer places where you can learn about different plants flowers spices etc and there's different ways to plant your own garden yes strategically so that you're getting um crops that are related to each other mm-hmm. That's very interesting. So and it's they also yes and they also have what they call play gardens so playgrounds that they set up just for this festival in different areas for the kids to burn off some of their energy but they usually have like educational signs or whatever in those areas i don't know how many people actually read them it's okay they're learning but they have them (laughs) so some examples of these now there are way more there's probably four times what i actually put on here but or what we're going to talk about but these are just some so the bamboo garden in the china pavilion allows you to see bamboo in various colors and patterns and sizes so you can go see the different bamboo i like this one it's on the world showcase bridge so kind of where that mickey and minnie and chip and dale and pluto topiary is that walkway to the um port of entry has the mm-hmm. blossoms of fragrance presented by sensi and it has all the flowers there and then the different fragrances so they're very fragrant flowers and you can go smell them and i don't know i like that area yeah the butterfly landing which is in the world nature so over by the imagination pavilion that's presented by advent health yeah they have a whole bunch of butterflies that you can see up close they have all different colors and stuff and you can learn about the butterfly life cycles they have the chrysalises there so if you're lucky you can see the chrysalises is that a word chrysalises Chrysalis, um, chrysalis, I don't know. The, um. <laughs> yes, those you can see them. Just one thing to note on this: it does close at dusk, so the park might be open until nine, but this might close at say eight or whatever. The butterflies, whatever time. Early. Yeah, they have very very tight bedtime schedules. Um, the the great thing about this, there's hardly ever 
a line per se. Like sometimes they'll hold people just to make sure that it's not super crowded inside. Um, so everybody's experience is nice, but there's really not a line. It's a walkthrough attraction and you can spend as much or as little time as you want in there. So you can just mm-hmm. take a lap through or like, I usually spend like a good hour in the butterfly tent. Oh. Um, sometimes I don't do it all in one shot because it does get hot in there on a very hot day. Mm-hmm. It's a little unpleasant to be in the tent. Um, but so I've tried to hit this maybe early in the day or maybe closer to dusk, just so it's not um, quite so steamy in there. <laughs> but um, And if yeah, you're really still, the butterflies might land on you. So if you're walking, yes. if you're just briskly walking through, you're going to see the stuff. But if you actually take the time moment. yeah, to, to read some of the signs or to really look at some of the stuff they have in there, the butterflies might actually land on you, which is kind of cool. The next one I have on here is the Camp Get Out and Play Garden presented by Off. So like the bug spray stuff. It's a camp themed garden and they have things that you can jump, play, climb. Like I said, they have little signs that are supposed to be kind of educational stuff. But it's mainly just areas for the kids to enjoy the outdoors, to enjoy being, you know, active and not hold up in their stroller or whatever. You know, it gives them an area for them to play out of the way, get their energy out. English Tea Garden, uh, mm-hmm. presented by Twinings in the United Kingdom, is really uh, is really very special. Um, gardening is huge in the UK. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just something culturally that they've really latched onto. So to have this great little um, English Tea Garden with this idyllic setting, uh, they'll often have the, the Mary Poppins meet and greet will often move um, into that location so you can meet Mary Poppins in the garden, which is really mm-hmm. um, kind of special. And uh, there used to be a tour. You could take a... Um, a tour of all the gardens that I think started in the English tea garden or it was an English tea garden tour. I haven't seen that back since COVID. No, it hasn't come back yet. That's a shame because hopefully really, because really that would be tour. really neat. And they yeah. also, while we're speaking of things they used to have, hopefully they will start bringing these things back. They used to have the gardens tour. And then they also used to have like little demonstrations or mm-hmm. um, talks where they would have somebody come and talk and talk about, you know, gardening techniques or like almost like seminars that you could go to, which I know that sounds kind of boring to some people, but like if gardening is your thing, having somebody talk about the way they do this or the way they make the topiaries, like a behind the scenes of how they make the topiaries or they used to have different things like that that you could go to and listen and learn things, but none of that has come back. So these are all self-guided garden walks where once again, you can read the signs and kind of learn on your own and at your own pace. And they were all um, paid experiences. So, I mean, it was something that was generating revenue for Disney. So I don't really, and they all would all fill up. So I don't understand why they're waiting to bring them back. I don't know if they just need to wait for the Epcot construction to be completely well, I was going to say, do that. I, I would imagine if I had to guess that they would bring some of these things back starting next year when mm-hmm. Communicore Hall or right, Plaza because that's or whatever be is the open. festival center yes. kind of situation. In the World Nature area, they have the floating gardens. So there are 150 different plots drifting or floating on the pond that um, you can see from that bridge that goes to the World Showcase. Yeah, and it's great. It's just these little little buckets of pink flowers just mm-hmm. floating around in the water. I think the cool thing, too, is it, like, it draws your attention to the water. And I, think, I don't know if people don't maybe realize that that water is uh, full of wildlife. They're fish and mm-hmm. turtles in there but stop on that bridge sometime and just take a look in the water you'll, you'll be amazed at all the little um friends that are floating in there 
Uh, and I think, I feel like the garden aspect kind of draws you to pay attention to that water rather than just walk by it. Mm-hmm. And they also have the flowers. They have a different design every year, but kind of behind the lake area or the water area, looking towards the front of the park, they have... Oh, those beautiful tapestries. The, the, yeah. It's almost like a flower mural. It's so right. pretty. Um, yeah, I love those. It's, it's funny. The first time you walk into Epcot after Flower and Garden's over and they're not there, it's like, oh. This is boring. It's normal Epcot. Yeah. <laughs> it's It makes it so pretty and it makes for yeah. such nice pictures. It's like when you take your Christmas decorations down at home and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my house is bland and sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The Honey Bistro is hosted by the National Honey Board and it is on the walkway from the World Showcase near the port of entry over towards the Imagination Pavilion. So not the middle walkway that goes up towards Spaceship Earth. It's more on the left-hand side that would go towards the Imagination Pavilion. And it's right there by the Honey Bistro Kitchen, outdoor kitchen. And it has, it talks about the honeybee's role in the environment and in the process, like plant life process. So it's kind of interesting. And then the food in that Honey Bistro outdoor kitchen is it all contains honey it's all honey inspired food and drinks so i find that really neat and then very very cool the honeybees are so important right very very cool um also just a honey bistro kind of brings up a point um about this festival in particular (laughs) Um, if you if you do have (laughs) i didn't even do that on purpose um if you do have um allergies to things like uh, pollen or honey or bees um, just make sure you're taking precautions because they are bringing a lot more flowers than normal into Epcot. And that's going to bring those natural pollinators um, into that space because they want the, um, they, they want to get the pollen out of the plants. So there are um, a lot of bees around, a lot of bees around during this festival. So yes. it's not, it's not overwhelming. I mean, if you're like, if you have like a fear of bees, you're like, you're not going to see, it, it won't be like every five feet you're hitting swarms of them or anything, but just no. if you have an allergy, I would say this is a festival where you may want to take an extra precaution and just make sure that you do have um, whatever counteractive measures that you carry with you um, in place because Epcot's big and it takes a long time to get EMS there. <laughs> so mm-hmm. just be prepared on your own if you know that that's a sensitivity for you. Yes. The last two that I was going, that I was going to mention, like I said, there's like 25 of these i have two two okay <laughs> two two you have a two 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 i have two two yes <laughs> the spice garden at morocco pavilion i really think this one's neat the it talks about the signature spices that they use in trading and herb blends and stuff that were once considered like more valuable than gold so like that's so that's really neat i i feel like that each that's eastern cool. culture and then in back in the United Kingdom Pavilion, so in addition to the tea garden, they also have the Shakespeare Garden, which I'm weird. I like Shakespeare. So this explores the works of Shakespeare in these gardens, which fe- it features excerpts from some of his sonnets and the flowers that influenced those sonnets or those excerpts. And I was so saying, I'm not... As a, as a non-Shakespeare fan, I am a fan of the Shakespeare Garden because it's okay. like Shakespeare boiled down to the, just a couple lines and that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, so even if it's not, it, like, even if your Shakespeare's thing. not your jam, it's kind of the same for any of these. Um, like if spices and, and Moroccan culture aren't your jam, you might still find the garden really cool. 
mm-hmm. um, even though like Shakespeare's not my jam as much as it is Lisa's, like I still think this is one of the coolest gardens that they have um, mm-hmm. in Epcot during this festival. And what are really, your two that you... My two, I love the salad garden and the salsa garden because they specifically take things that you would find in your salad and like show you the best way to arrange them within a garden. And then the salsa garden, they have uh, all the things that are growing that you would take to mix up your pico de gallo or your you know regular whatever kind of salsa you like. So it talks about the different peppers and the different influences that they have. Um, in the salsa and it's just a it's just a really cool presentation i never thought about like i only grow like things that grow here well like we would grow tomatoes or my dad Mm -hmm. decided to plant corn one year uh just in the garden and we got like eight years of corn for taking up like almost the whole space which was kind of a a waste (laughs) of space for us but yeah um but i digress but we would we would mainly grow tomatoes because they're Mm -hmm. easy to grow and the ones at the grocery store are really crappy and the ones in your garden are really delicious so yes that's usually what we would pick and it just never occurred to me to also grow the other things that i would need to make a specific thing so that was a cool concept to me and i was like oh yeah you could like grow some lettuce with your tomatoes and you know grow some peas and some broccoli or whatever else you wanted to put on your salad um and then same with the salsa like I could you know grow some onions and and some um jalapenos and you know then I'd have Mm -hmm. like all the ingredients I could just go like oh I want to make salsa today let me go pick them from the garden so um, yeah it's just a neat um a neat way to arrange your garden uh with a specific intent Awesome. And as I said, there are so many more of these gardens. And I know this doesn't sound maybe the most interesting thing when you're considering, oh my gosh, I could go ride Guardians and I could go, you know, do Frozen and do this and do that and go to the other parks and have all these active, active, active things. But it is nice to have some of these just relaxing, walk through the gardens, enjoy being present in the moment. It's so Mm -hmm. different from the go, go, go mentality that is Disney World. They also have activities for the kids because, of course, so many kids come to Disney and we want to make sure that while the adults might be okay to grab a beverage and walk through some of these gardens, the kids might be like really another flower. Right. So they've <laughs> I'd have been things... bored by that at nine. <laughs> I, mean, I can appreciate that. <laughs> so they've put some things in place to help the kids. We've already mentioned some, which was the butterfly garden, so the butterfly house that we were talking about. And some of those playground areas. But they also have a couple scavenger hunts. They have the Spike's Pollination Exploration. So Spike is a honeybee. And they have Spike in each of the different countries. You buy a scavenger hunt map. It's $9.99 at the Port of Entry gift shops at Creations. I think there's a couple other places you can buy it. And you complete, you match the sticker. So when you find spike there'll be a flower there and you match that sticker on the paper to that flower that you found with him so if i'm in france and say i found a rose i would then put a sticker the rose sticker on the france part of the map once you have all of them collected you could take it back and get your prize and i know we talked about this for festival of the arts you could also pick up the prize Spoiler first alert, you can just get the prize you don't have to actually do this but uh, it but keeps the kids fun. engaged yeah if fun. you're there because this festival runs over easter if you're there around Easter, I think it's like a week or two before two to a week or before. two after. Yeah. yeah. They have an extra scavenger hunt where you're looking for eggs and they're the different characters. So it might be Pluto or Mickey or Chippendale. And they have these character eggs hidden around the world showcase. Same thing. 
whenever you find one, say you find chip in China, you would put the chip sticker on the China Pavilion on your map, and then you could trade it in for a prize once you have it completed. They'll even and, let you keep the map after you get your prize. Yes. I think they just stamp it that you're done. So you can yep, they do. redeem it again. Um, and, and pro tip, parents, go ahead and pick up the prize at the beginning and stick it in your bag just in case you don't wander over by port of entry again when you're finished. So that when your child finishes the scavenger hunt, you're just like, oh, hey, look, here's your prize. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to you don't have to intentionally make your way back over there, wait in line again and uh, just grab the prize and tuck it away until they're done. If you want to make it a, um, you know, prize for actually completing the scavenger hunt mm-hmm. just to save time. Another thing that's always there, this is not festival specific, but it is something that can keep your kids entertained if you are allowing them to be on a, a on a device. The Disney Play app has activities for in Epcot, and one of the activities they can do is a DuckTales adventure. It takes, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes in each country, mm-hmm. but it does and they give do keep them... each adventure like, in that country, right? They don't mm-hmm. make you, right, they're not making you run all over Epcot. So, so when you're in, say, Norway, <laughs> you would click, you know, that you want to do the Norway activity and then it keeps them busy there so that you can explore the garden or get stuff from the food booth or get a drink and enjoy it while they're doing these different um, activities. Right. Um, I want to pop back to Spike um, and his pollination exploration. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people maybe don't remember Spike. Um, he was a very minor character uh, in the shorts. And um, he was uh, uh, friends with Donald Duck and Chippendale. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and he made some guest appearances in some of their uh, short subjects. So if you're not familiar with that character and you're wondering, like, who is this random bee? Spike, what is this? Um, he's from the 40s. And um, they resurrected him for this festival. And he's such a good mascot for it. Um, mm-hmm. So you'll see him and you'll see Orange Bird, um, who was actually created by Disney for the Florida Citrus Commission um in the early 1970s so they spike is a real disney character he was animated specifically for those disney shorts orange bird is another mascot for this festival that you'll see all over the place uh he was actually not even he was created by disney but not for disney so they've kind of reclaimed him in the last uh decade or so and you uh, see his presence more and more in the parks so if Mm -hmm. you're seeing them around and wondering where in the world these (laughs) these two mascots came from um that's kind of their backstory yes Moving on to some of the entertainment they have, it's not near as much as some other festivals, but the main entertainment here, the main draw is supposed to be the topiaries and the flowers and the gardens. So like I said, it is kind of a more relaxed environment than mm-hmm. than um, some of the other festivals, but they do have the Garden Rocks concert series. These have every or most days, they have three performances a day. I forget the exact times, but they're three they times a day. They start about 5.15 and they end about 8.30 or so. Yeah. So, the last one. And they have performers such as, I think this is M80s or Mateys. I think it's M80s. <laughs> M80s. I love them, actually. I've seen them a couple times. They are really good. Plain White Tees, Jody Messina, Woo. Blue October, A Flock of Seagulls, and Simple Plan are some of the, some of the people or some of the groups performing this year. They are located in the American Adventure Pavilion. There's the, um, can you help me out? The concert venue. What's it called? Um, the American Gardens Theater. Thank you. American Gardens yes. Theater yep. in the American Adventure Pavilion. It's right on the water. You can purchase a dining package for these, meaning that you pay. And we talked about this during our Festival of the Arts thing. We're not going to go into depth on it, but you can 
book a dining package where say you go to beer garden and they charge you maybe an extra $15, $20 per person over what beer garden normally costs or Acker shoes or Lacellier, whatever it is, you get your meal and then they give you a ticket to go to the performance and you get kind of VIP seating down in the front and a guaranteed seat. Right. However, and you're still choosing oh. your own seat. So you can, um, you can book this dining package and still make a poor choice of seats. Um, so it's not necessarily giving you, it's giving you first pick at the seats um, versus the standby line, but it's not necessarily guaranteeing that you're going to make good choices. Yes. Said and then, by someone who made bad choices at Candlelight Processional last year. Oh, no. <laughs> so, um, I was looking at a different section for where I thought the, the speaker was going to be at the podium, and it was not the right podium. That's where the conductor was, not the speaker. Oh, no. <laughs> like, uh. So, um, but that's, you know, you don't know until the performers actually come on stage whether your seats are great or not. You just know they're close. Mm-hmm. So, so they're up front. And so they let everybody from that guaranteed the dining package seating. They let them in first and then they let the standby line in. Most of the time for most of these performers, you're going to get in if you're in the standby line. And if you don't, quite honestly, you can just stand, you know, behind the rope of the theater. It's an open theater. So even if you don't get a seat, yeah, if you don't get a seat, might be crowded, but the later shows won't be. Yeah. And honestly, the couple times I've gone, I've just stood back there and that way I'm able to honestly dance around. (laughs) I dance to it. I grab a drink. Like we have a good time. Um, But then you're also not tied to staying there. So if you only want to enjoy it for a few songs, whatever, but the standby line, you're most likely getting in. Yes. This is not a festival where you need to buy the, um, the package. Um, unless it, it is your absolute favorite band and you want to be in the front row and you want to get to the dining reservation line two hours before the show starts so that you are right there, um, that would be the only reason to consider doing a dining reservation for this one. Um, or if it would give you a piece no of mind. In. Right, but you'll have no trouble getting in on standby, especially for a later show for these concerts. Yeah. Most people enjoy them just walking by. There are usually groups that... Um, I, I feel like music's a little more people are a little more divided than they are on like the candlelight processional narrators mm-hmm. um, where there are some that have like a cult following. And if you don't book your dining package three seconds after it releases, you're not going to see them uh, <laughs> versus like these bands. Like, like I love plain white tees. I feel like most people have never heard of them. <laughs> so oh. it's not that hard to get into their show, you know, um, out of this list, I would say Jody Messina is probably the most well-recognized. Um, mm-hmm. Even her, concert um it's it, she plays a 30 minute set i mean she's gonna play but four or five songs like there it's not um it just doesn't have the demand um among this group of people that something like candlelight processional does mm-hmm. the big draw i feel like besides the topiaries for this festival are the outdoor kitchens so those food booths yes. the best yes so they have 20 outdoor kitchens this year and I was shocked. They have over 60 new items for this year's festival. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. A lot That's of them are drinks, but there are a lot of new food. Or there is a lot of new food. I don't know. Whatever. So some of my returning favorites, some of my favorite things to get here that I've had in the past are the fried cinnamon roll bites with cream cheese frosting and candied bacon from Brunch Cot. I don't hate that. 
the spicy masala chicken skewer with creamy peanut sauce from Lotus House in China. The spicy chicken gumbo with andouille sausage and long grade and wild rice. So that's like that Mr. Ben or what is that? Uncle Ben's rice. Oh, yeah. Magnolia Terrace in the America Pavilion. My absolutely favorite thing to get at this festival is Frushi. Frushi! Which is in Japan from Hanami. That is, I'm not the biggest sushi fan. So that is um, pink. Let me think. It's fruit. So it's pieces of fruit with a sweet um, rice. And then it's wrapped in like sweet, like a pink. Soy wrapper. Soy wrapper. Thank you. So that is one of my favorite things to get. They serve it then with like a strawberry drizzle and, and whipped cream. I love that. The Levier and Rose frozen slushy. That's an alcoholic drink from Florida Lees in France. I like to get that one. I like everything from Northern Bloom in Canada. They have beef tenderloin tips with the mushroom Bordelais sauce and whipped potatoes. The seared scallops can kind of be hit or miss. Like sometimes I walk by and they smell kind of funky so I don't get them. But I've yeah. had them other times where they were great. So I've had them and they're great, and I've had them and they're yeah. Scallops are tricky anyway. Like they yeah. have to be like super cooked for me, and they've got to almost take on like a a more of a meat quality than a seafood quality mm-hmm. <laughs> before I'm like, yes, these are delicious. <laughs> and they also have a chocolate maple whiskey cake that I really mm. like. I think my favorite drink at this festival is a frozen desert violet lemonade that's non-alcoholic. It's bright purple, and they have it with a little pansy on top. And then that's served at Pineapple Promenade. So I think that's my favorite drink to get. I steer clear there just because it's named after pineapples. I get scared. Oh, well, that doesn't have any (laughs) pineapple in it. I know. You could get that one. I won't go to the Pineapple Promenade just in case. No, no, no. I'm good. No, I I would have that. Yeah, desert violet lemonade. That sounds amazing. I'm in. Are there any foods that you really like here? Um, Frushi is number one. And honestly, like when I think about this festival, it's the only thing I can think about. because the Frushi Festival. It's, it's the Frushi Festival. Um, but um, our, our friend and fellow agent Amy um, is uh, has, has a Frushi obsession, like a pretty mm-hmm. hardcore one. And like her joy over Frushi every time it's mentioned, like just blanks out all of the <laughs> other dishes that are at this festival. For me. Yes. So, um, and it just it just makes me giggle. So. I'm just, uh, you know, I was taking a scroll back through my um, flower and garden pictures last year to see if there was anything that really jumped out at me. And to be honest, I, I think it really was more the frushi. I, I do like at this festival that everything is very, uh, there's, a, there's a focus on farm to table and mm-hmm. on fresh ingredients. So there's not necessarily one thing that usually jumps out at me, but I usually walk away from this festival being the happiest overall with the food of any mm-hmm. of the festivals because it's just lighter, especially as it's getting hot in Florida in the spring. It tastes a lot better to me. Like I don't, it's, it's crazy. I love the food at the flower and garden festival. I'm usually is... not a huge fan at the, of the food and wine festival because oh, the food yeah. is so much heavier and it's so hot and it's yes. just not enjoyable to eat it. Well, and the food at food and wine is good. It just, yeah, it's so hot and then it's heavy and, but, you know, the food is good, but I eat one or two things. I try one or two things at the food booth and I'm like, okay, and I'm done. 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 I need to go sit in the air conditioning a while. Whereas this one is you're going around, I'm able to try more things because it is so much lighter and enjoyable, even in the hot weather. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, last year at, um, Hanami, they also had, um, 
I think a shrimp udon was that it was that, was that maybe that was festival of the holidays they all start to run together after a while no I think uh, they, I think <laughs> they did have an udon there was the udon? this year they I, don't there... they have they have ramen instead mm, that's okay but if there's udon I'll get that every time I love those noodles so that's um <clears throat> that's a big one for me I would say yeah the the furushi is literally the only thing that like super stands out the only <laughs> other thing they used to have um, Beijing strawberries in China and they Ooh. haven't had them for years um, but they were like a candy coated strawberry mm-hmm. on a stick oh my gosh they were amazing um so i would love to see those come back but I yeah it's been years since they've been there so i am really excited to try some new things that are coming out so of those 60 things that are coming out some of the ones i'm looking forward to and by the way they have a big as holly said a big farm to table component but also a big um vegetarian there are a lot of vegan a lot of vegetarian options and I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. So they have a lot of the impossible meats. One of the new items I'm excited to try are the biscuits and gravy from Brunch Cot with the impossible chicken fried steak. Because some of their impossible stuff tends to be really good. Another item is the seared pork tenderloin with corn risotto and peach galette from Farmer's Feast. Farmer's Feast, depending on when you go, it has a rotational menu. It has four different menus. So depending on when you're there, they try to bring in the items that will be the most Seasonally. fresh at that yeah. in at that point during the festival. And so I'll be there for the last rotation that they'll have at Farmer's Feast. So it'll be the seared pork tenderloin with corn risotto and peach galette. Oh, nice. The cubanito, cubanito is a mojo marinated pork belly, ham, Swiss pickles, and stone ground mustard from Florida Fresh. Everything at Jardin de Fiestas is new this year. They have new drinks, new food. Oh, nice. A lot. They have a like guava. I'm flan glad to hear that because thing. it's time. Yeah. They have <laughs> a guava flan. They have taquitos. They have, um, anyways, they have a couple different things. And then their drinks are new. So I'm really excited to try the stuff there. It all sounds really good. That ramen cup citrus- from Hanami. Yeah, citrus blossom looks really good to me. The um, orange sesame tempura shrimp yes. and uh, lemon meringue pie. I think I'm, I'm in there. Oh, there's orange. I love, I love orange. Pie. So that's like my favorite flavor. So. Yes. Um, the acai parfait at, land, at the land cart. I love acai like bowls. So I'm hoping that's what it's like. And yeah. then my final thing that I really want to try, and this one's at Connections. I really like that Connections is included in the festivals. They usually have one or two festival offerings inside the Connections Eatery, and they have a hot honey chicken sandwich there. That sounds good. Oh, we're doing um, a lobster tail at Florida Fresh. Yeah. I'm in on that. <laughs> what else is at Florida care. Fresh? There's something else new there. It's um, the lobster it's tail and... with mojo marinated pork oh, belly, ham, yeah, that's cheese right. and pickles, and then the Florida strawberry shortcake. Ooh, yeah. That's good. I had that last year. Mm-hmm. And. Holly and I are not coffee people at all. Mm-hmm. We do nope. not like coffee. So I really, really like that this festival has tea options instead of coffee-based options at the Joffrey carts. So things like a berry chai tea or um, you know, mint tea infused with strawberry or something like that. It's it's a lot of tea options, cold tea, you know, iced tea options. So I really like that instead of iced coffee or whatever options that are at some of the other festivals because we don't drink coffee. I very much do too, obviously. Um, and a- another place um, 
for tea here, China always has um, a special bubble tea mm, for yes. the festival. Um, and then they have their regular bubble teas um, also available. So uh, lots of um, <clears throat> lots of different ways to get tea um, at this festival that are just a little bit of fun, you know, and give, give, dress it up a little bit. And, and even if you're not a big tea drinker, the way that they make these teas and the things they put in it and stuff, they're still really good. It's not like drinking just plain black tea or plain green tea. It's the stuff that they put in it, the different syrups and different flavors and stuff elevate it. And you can also get those teas with alcohol. So you might get like a, like I said, that mint tea with maybe some strawberry and then they might put vodka right. in it or something, you know. So you could still get some of those alcoholic beverages with the lighter tea and, and fruit flavors. Yes. Yes. And uh, yeah, the iced tea berry sounds, is iced berry chai sounds pretty, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. I'm excited yes. about that. Yes, me too. Uh, another thing I noticed on the menus um, at, um, oh goodness, Morocco, Tangerine Cafe, Flavors of the Medina, they mm -hmm. have had the exact same menu for every festival for the last four years. Uh, and it has been chicken skewer, lamb skewer, Moroccan stone bread with dipping sauces. Um, now, I'm, I'm not throwing shade at them or hate or on any level, because let me tell you, everything on that menu is phenomenal. I would usually stop there at every festival. There is a reason and they haven't changed. It's because it's exactly. really good. It's fabulous. And you should just eat there every time, except they're mixing it up for flower mm -hmm. garden. They're going to have a Mediterranean flatbread with tremola roasted vegetables, artichoke, olives, and feta cheese, and an orange blossom saffron cake. And the skewers are not listed, nor is mm. the stone bread. And I'm, Interesting. I'm, sad. I'm a little sad about it because it was one of my favorite places and I would like go there pretty consistently. All right. So I did mention that they do a lot of vegetarian, vegan dishes, gluten-free dishes, things like that at this festival in particular. You, you can get a little passport booklet yeah. at the front of the festival and it's available at every uh, stand that sells uh, treats. And uh, in that passport, it details every country or every stand because not every stand correlates with the country. Some of them are just specifically like the farmer fresh stand is just for you know that particular thing honey bistro is by itself it's not mm -hmm. associated French with the country or pavilion right so each one of the stands is has uh, their menu detailed in there so you can remember what you tried and it gives you a little place to check off what you've tasted um, so when you're going back later and you have all these pictures of food and you're like oh crap what was that <laughs> um, it helps you get, get some clues to match them back up um, and then in the back they're going to have um a space that you can collect five stamps and if you collect all five of those stamps by eating um food items from a specific genre uh you're going to get a completer item for free so this year it's garden graze mm -hmm. so and you collect yeah and you only get five so they have more options so you don't have to eat every single thing Right. And also, if you really like one or two of the items, you can get more than one. So, for example, if I was there with my husband and we went to a food booth and we both got the same thing, they could give you two stamps because you purchased two of those items. Right. Or if I really liked one of the items and went back the next day and got that item again, they could give you another stamp. Anyways, so the items that they have this year are the avocado toast with marinated tomatoes and plant-based cheese crumbles on toasted ciabatta at Brunch Cot. I'm interested about that because I used to love their avocado toast, but it didn't have those mm -hmm. plant-based cheese crumbles. It had 
flowers on it and it had the tomatoes and it had I don't know it was di- I think it might be have been a little different so I'll be interested to see if that's still as good the grilled street corn on the cob with savory garlic spread and plant-based cheese from Epcot Farmers Feast Florida strawberry shortcake from Florida Fresh the potato pancakes and house-made applesauce so like latkes almost from the Bauer Market at Farmers Market in Germany Mm-hmm. Steam bun filled with vegetables and plant-based soy meat from Hanami. Coconut tres leches from La Isla Fresca. The Impossible Farmhouse Meatball with lentil, bread, spinach, marinated vegetables, and creamy herb aioli from Trowel and Trellis. The seasonal fruit parfait with sweet chili sauce and mango dole whip. So I'm wondering if it's kind of like a mango nada. Um, mm-hmm. But that's at the refreshment outpost. And then I'm really excited for this one because at Food and Wine, they have the plant-based buffalo chicken tenders, and I love them. So they have the plant-based buffalo chicken tender poutine. So it's on crispy potato barrels. It has the chicken tenders, the buffalo chicken tenders with plant-based ranch and blue cheese crumbles, so plant-based blue cheese. I'm really um, excited for those. But uh, I love that plant-based buffalo chicken tenders. I honestly was eating it and could not really tell that it was plant-based like it was so good so i'm really excited for that one so So if you get any of those items any five of those items you can turn it in and usually the reward is a dole whip like a specialty flavor dole whip although though this year they have the dole whip as one of the things you can get so um it'll be interesting to see if they keep that or if they switch it up yeah um, so Lisa likes the, the plant-based and uh, impossible items. I personally avoid those because it weirds me out that meat is engineered. Like I think I want my meat to come from meat or I just <laughs> eat not meat. <laughs> so, um, so I'm just looking through this list here and it looks like you can, um, if you don't do impossible or plant-based meat, um, you would only have to repeat one item. So you have the strawberry shortcake, the um, potato pancakes, the tres leches cake, and the seasonal fruit parfait um, would all not have um, any plant-based meat in them, so, but you would have to repeat one of them in order to um, fulfill your five. All right, but there are so many more. And, and a tip that we have is to download the Food & Wine app. I know it's called Food & Wine, which is not this festival, but I promise you when you download it and log in, it will <laughs> upload the most current festival. So it currently... I opened it up today to look at all the menus and it has all of the flower and garden food booth menus on there. And it tells you all the items you can click and star the ones that you want to try. And then you can look at the map view and it will show you on the map. So if you're like, okay, I'm right here. What's near me that I want to try. You can click on the items near you and it'll tell you which ones you wanted to try. But it also will give you, if you click through all the things you want, it'll give you a budget for that year, things like that. So that is a good way to look at all of the menu options, not just the ones that we kind of talked about what looked right. good to us. Those will tell you a, all of the options. It's a nice way if you have um, a budget for the day to make sure that you're not like spending three times what you would spend on a table service meal to snack around the world. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I like that feature. I always go through and click yeah. everything I want. And then it's like, your budget is $1,000. I'm like, Haha, just kidding. Incorrect. Okay. And then I could go so through and what take do we really out. not need? Yeah. <laughs> and um, also the, uh, your stomach will also tell you when you're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's a helpful feature. Uh, of, yes. Um, just going and being there in person because 
I would sometimes select a list of like 30 different things I wanted to try at the festival and I would get there and I'd be like well I got to try 12 of them because I came three days I ate four things each day and I was full so Another thing to do to be able to try, if you really want to try all those 30 things, if you're going with other people and you don't mind sharing, or even like when my husband and I go together, we'll get several items and then we'll just share so that we can try more items. Right. And then you get to at least taste them all yeah, um, to sample and see what you like the best. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it is fun to see, you know, oh, do we like this one? Do we not like this one? Okay. What was your favorite? What was your least favorite? What would you either get in a larger quantity? And most items, I want to say most items are under $10. Not the alcohol. So it is nice that you could go, you know, a quick service meal is going to run you 15, 20 bucks with a drink. You could Mm -hmm. go get four or five items from the World Showcase and try from these food booths and try different items and still kind of feel full. So you'd be spending about the same amount of money, but you'd be getting to try several different things. So that's kind of what I do instead of having a sit down restaurant or having a quick service meal. Right. I always encourage my clients not to book table service restaurants in Epcot if they're going to a festival. If you're going to take multiple days at the festival and maybe one day you're trying food and one day you're not, and then you want to actually have a meal there, that's fine. Um, Or if you have a park hopper and you're specifically going to hop to Epcot because your favorite restaurant's there, you know, great. But if you think you're going to graze at the Food and Wine Festival and then eat a table service meal um, at six o'clock, you're going to be very full from like 11 (laughs) to two, you're not going to make it. Yeah, you're going to sit down for dinner and you're going to be like, I don't even need to eat. Why am I at this restaurant? All right. So those are all the offerings that they have. But there are some neat facts about this festival. Um, Really quick. Do you just want to alternate? I'll read one. You read. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. So there are some really neat facts about this festival. The first one being the Epcot International Flower and Garden Festival is one of the longest running flower and garden festivals in the entire United States. That's so cool. I and it's about, what, don't 20... know how many years. <laughs> I want to say they celebrated their 20th anniversary not too long ago. So maybe somewhere between 22 and 25 years that okay. it's been running, I think. Um, awesome. Don't quote me on that because it could be a different festival that was celebrating their anniversary, but I think it was Flower and Garden. Um, the festival encompasses more than 300 acres and more than a mile and a half of gardens. Now they're cheating on this a little bit because they put it in the biggest park. So Yeah. We said this earlier, but there are 100 individual topiaries on display around the entire park with more than 70 of them being Disney characters. It, it's really fun to watch this grow because when I, we first started going to this festival, I want to say they were around the 60s. And, you know, they add a couple new topiary forms every year, but then they just keep the ones that they've had. So they're constantly increasing the number of topiaries that are around. So it, it's really going to be interesting, like 10, 20 years from now, to see how this festival continues to grow and how many topiaries there are going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, at nearly 20 feet long, the dragon topiary is the longest topiary at Walt Disney World. It's comprised of 650 plants. That's that's incredible. That's a lot. Think about it. That's a lot of plants. Yeah. I, I had no idea that, that, that plants. <laughs> and I had no idea that that dragon topiary was 20 feet long. Like it is impressive, but I didn't realize it was yeah. that long. Just looking yeah, at it. It's really cool. It's a very, it's a very neat uh, piece. So throughout the entire park for the festival, they have about 30 million blooms. That is beyond comprehensible for me 30 million i don't know what that number is i don't know like i can't conceptualize how big that is so obviously everywhere you turn you are seeing flowers in some form around the park 
It's really beautiful. It is. Uh, there are more, more than 500,000 plants, trees, and shrubs planted for the festival. Half of those are annual blooms uh, installed just for the festival. I mean, when you think about the horticulture team at Epcot and what they go through to get these plants in place so that we can all enjoy them for the festival. And then the fact that like some of these plants are not native to the Florida climate. So mm -hmm. there are some that Disney will put out, they won't even plant them in the ground. They'll put them out in pots because they're just going to swap the pots out when the plants die because they just can't handle the sun and the, and the humidity for the length of time that they need to, to get through the whole festival. Mm-hmm. The festival includes, the festival plants include 60 different species of trees, 47 types of palms, and 48 varieties of bedding plants. That's a lot. It is a lot. 40 flower towers have been added to world celebration. Each tower contains 250 four-inch annuals. Um, the flower towers, I think, are really, they're just such a cool thing. It is, um, they are cool. The first time we saw them uh, was when they were done in Christmas style and they were full of poinsettias for um, uh, in 2003 on our honeymoon. And I just fell in love with them. I thought they were the neatest thing. And I feel like over time they've taken, they've done less of them during Christmas. Like there, it used to be poinsettia towers everywhere at Christmas time. And I feel like they've scaled those back a little bit, mm -hmm. but they've rehomed them in the form of bringing them out for flower and garden um, because they're literally all over the park uh, mm -hmm. for flower and garden. We talked about these floating mini gardens, but there are over 200 of them. They're about three feet in diameter and they have all different colored impatience. And 700 container gardens of flowers, herbs, plants, and vegetables um, and clay pots and barrels and urns that enhance the landscape all over the park. As Holly said, they have an incredible team at Walt Disney World. They actually have 400 horticulturists that are needed to install just this festival landscape. 400. So they so install the landscape. Of the, of the annual plants. That's 625 plants per horticulturist. Yes. And that have to be installed. They have to do the festival landscaping, the topiaries, the exhibits. And then 100 Epcot horticulturists maintain those topiaries and other displays throughout the festival. So it takes 400 of them to get ready. And then, as Holly said, some of those flowers die or horticulturists have to come out and maintain the topiaries, either trim them or swap out parts of them or swap out the plants that are dying in those in those um, flower pots or whatever to make them all look fresh throughout the entire festival. Wow, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, it takes more than a full year or about 24,000 cast member hours to prepare for the annual festival. So they are already starting now to prepare mm -hmm. for next year's festival so it is literally <laughs> some <laughs> cast members jobs these horticulturists that is their only job is to prepare mm -hmm. for the festival and then do the festival and then prepare for the festival and do the festival right that's and they're all already they do thinking about next year's festival before this year's festival has even they've even put the first topiary out so mm -hmm. it's pretty incredible to think about all that's going on behind the scenes to make this happen yes and then it takes over four nights just to plant one side of the festival blooms. That's wild. Yeah. All right. So, Holly, of all these things we talked about, why should somebody attend this festival? Why wouldn't you attend this festival? It is beautiful. <laughs> it um, is beautiful. Unless you, unless you have, like, a, a stunningly terrible flower allergy or hay fever or something like that. 
where being outside isn't even enough to mitigate um, how you're going to feel at this festival. Um, that would be the only reason I would say maybe a different festival would be a better match for you. Um, this, this remains my favorite. Um, even, even though it's the one that I probably attend second least, uh, just because of timing and the way that my schedule works, it's absolutely my favorite festival to go to. It's so beautiful. And now that they've added the, the food to the festival, it just really brings everything full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, when we first started going to this festival, it was the topiaries only, and it was still a great time to go to Epcot. And then when they added the food booths in and made everything like farm to table, ultra fresh, I was like, yes, this is the best thing ever. The butterfly house is absolutely stunning. Um, it's, that's again, still probably one of my favorite things to do at the festival it's just a great time. It's a great time to be at Epcot. It's a little bit cooler than the height of summer on average. Uh, so it's a little bit more pleasant to just be walking around the park and enjoying. Mm-hmm. Um, what other reasons do you need to go? I would say if you are looking for a festival that is going to provide you with a lot of entertainment, this might not be for you. So like the Festival of the Arts has the Moving entertainers and yeah, it has a lot more entertainment, has a lot more hands-on activities, has a lot more. If you're looking for something like that, this might not be for you. If you are looking to just be able to walk around and enjoy the beauty, if you are looking to have something that's maybe a little more relaxing, go around and learn about these different topiaries and the way they grow things. And the you know, if you're looking for just something like that, this would be a better fit for you. Also, if you really love gardening. Right. This might be for you. But and say, if like, you I really don't... like those vegetarian, vegan options, this festival has more than any other festival with those Very impossible true. meats, the plant-based items. So if you're looking for anything like that, this festival might be a better fit. Right. As far as the gardening aspect, like I hate to garden. Like if you want to torture me, put me outside and make me do yard <laughs> work. Like that's that is the easiest way to make me hate my life, right? Um, but I love this festival because other people are doing all the work for me. So I just get to go enjoy the pretty garden when it's done. And I don't have to actually put the work into making it that way. So this is kind of my ideal festival as a non-gardener because I'm not forced to touch the dirt. (laughs) (laughs) And I get to eat snacks and look at flowers. Like I'm in heaven. This is great. (laughs) Yes. The International Flower and Garden Festival is absolutely stunning. Going around and seeing the different topiaries, really looking at how they are made Trying all the different food booth items, enjoying a concert over at the Garden Rocks concert series, it will definitely be the highlight of your trip if you go in with an open mind and are willing to relax a little more and not go, you know, go nonstop the whole time. Right. And, and the bonus, too, of at this time of year, um, having that extra Easter egg scavenger hunt mm-hmm. if you're visiting close to Easter um gives you you know one other thing uh, to also do all right if there's nothing else this podcast is sponsored by cherry train lane vacations a travel agency specializing in disney destinations universal all major cruise lines and all-inclusive resorts as always our services are free to you if you would like to plan your next vacation please visit us on cherry train lane vacations.com for lisa i'm holly and remember to always say yes to adventure